Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. Galatians 5, verses 13 and 14. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law, the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The book of Galatians was written at a time of great controversy in the early church. There were those who wanted to add to Jesus and his gospel. And when you look at the six chapters that make up the book of Galatians, they divide into three parts. Chapters 1 and 2, Jesus and the gospel explained. Jesus and the gospel explained. A key verse in this section would be Galatians 2 and verse 16. No one is justified by works of the law, but through trusting in Christ, faith in Christ. Chapters 3 and 4, the gospel defended, the gospel defended from those who would try to add to it or take from it. Notice Galatians 3 and verse 26. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. What I'd like for you to notice is this. According to chapters 1 and 2, Jesus is the only way anybody can be justified. According to chapters 3 and 4, Jesus is the only way that anyone can be a son or daughter of God. Do you see that? Now look at chapters 5 and 6. Jesus and the gospel applied. Explained, defended, applied. That's what we're talking about. And a key verse is Galatians 5 and verse 1. For freedom did Christ set us free. Stand fast, therefore, and be not again entangled in a yoke of bondage. Let me again bring this to your attention. Only through Jesus a person can be justified, not Jesus and the law. Only through Jesus and trusting him can one be a son or daughter. Only in Christ can one know real freedom. That is what chapters 5 and 6 are all about. Really, when you think chapters 5 and 6, think the church. Think the church. Because the church is the people who have been made right with God and justified because of Jesus. Because the church are sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. The church is the free, made free in Christ Jesus. And what is at stake, according to Paul, for the church because of these false teachers and how they're trying to add the law of Moses to Jesus and the cross, 
What's at stake is immense. What's at stake, first of all, is the freedom. Look at Galatians 5, 1. The statement begins with an assertion, a fact. For freedom did Christ set us free. It continues with a positive command. Stand fast, therefore. It continues with a negative command. And do not again be entangled in a yoke of bondage. If you listen to the teachers that are talking about circumcision and aspects of the law, you lose your freedom. The freedom that Christ made possible by the blood of the cross. The peace he made possible by the blood of the cross. Colossians 1 verse 20. Now look at Galatians 5 verses 2 through 4. If you go back to Judaism and think of Christianity as some kind of hybrid that involves Jesus and his gospel plus the law, notice what he says. He says, first of all, Christ will be of no effect. Do you see that in Galatians chapter 5? That should have really got their attention. Christ will be of no effect to you if this is what you do. Even though you say, yes, we believe in Jesus and his gospel, but we just also want people to be circumcised who are Gentile in background and observe aspects of the law of Moses, you do that. He says, secondly, you're going to lose your riches, the riches in Christ. You're going to lose your freedom, the freedom that's in Christ, Galatians 5 verse 1. You will be compelled, he says in Galatians 5, 2 through 4, to observe all of the law. Then notice what else is said in verse 4. And I don't know that the terminology, the wording could be stronger, y'all. He says, you are severed. You're cut off from Christ. Those of you who would be justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. And man, verse 4 is a sandwich that's not very tasty. Severed and cut off from Christ at the beginning, fallen from grace at the end. To embrace Jesus and his gospel plus anything is to forfeit great riches in Jesus. Now look at verses 5 and 6. By faith, you'll see that expression in verse 5 and in verse 6. There's something very close to it. By faith, we wait for the hope of righteousness. Yes, there is this sense in which we have ju been justified by Christ, Galatians 2.16, and we become sons and daughters of God, Galatians 3.23-27. through 27. We put on Jesus in baptism. But there is a sense in which we wait for the culmination. 
we wait in hope of righteousness, of being in the presence forevermore of our Lord and Savior Jesus. So Thomas, there's the sense of the already that God has promised our sins are forgiven and that we can be with Jesus forever as we keep looking to Him in humble, loving, obedient trust. There's that. But there's the culmination of it all when we are present with Him. So shall we ever be with the Lord. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Now, if you would, look at verse 7 through verse 12 of this section. What's at stake? We are free people, don't go back to bondage. We are rich people, don't go into debt. We are victorious people. Don't lose the victory, verses 7 through 12. Notice verse 7, you did run well. You did run well. I wonder of how many Christians that could initially be said. You did run well. And then notice what the teaching was doing that was false concerning the law. Who did hinder you? With their emphasis on a surgical procedure, Paul has got to play on words. Who's cutting in on you while you're running? Who's providing an obstacle course for you as it concerns your relationship with God? It's not Jesus in the gospel. It's not the message that I've been proclaiming to you as an apostle of Christ. But rather, it's these teachers who are insisting on circumcision and insisting on obeying the law of Moses. They are hindering you. Notice the text. It also says that they are troubling you. Same passage, verses 7 through 12. Then it says that they are unsettling you. You know what? Teaching that adds to or takes from the message of God is just that. It will unsettle the body of Christ. It will trouble the body of Christ. It will hinder the work of the body of Christ. And what Paul is saying in these verses is that one can lose their victory in the Christian race by allowing others to cut in. Now we get to verses 13 through 15. Let me stop for a moment. Many of you take notes and many of you uh, uh, are marking in your Bibles and I really appreciate that. And so especially for you, but everybody else will be able to remember this. When you look in your Bibles at Galatians 5, 1 through 12, think about this expression, two words. 
the just. The just, the righteous. Who are the righteous? Well, the righteous are the church. And they are people made free in Jesus, verse 1. They are people made rich in Christ, verses 2 through 6. They are people who are made victorious through Christ, verses 7 through 12. Now, in the next section, Galatians 5.13, it's going to go all the way through chapter 6 and verse 10. It's a big section. But all you need to do is remember two words. Shall live. Shall live. And 5.13 through 6.10 are all about living in a way that reflects love and humble trust and obedience to God. Remember what some of these false teachers were alleging concerning Paul? They were saying that Paul is really strong on grace, but he is soft on sin and there's a lack of rules with what he's talking about, and there's a lack of authority behind it. And what will this do to our churches if we do not continue to emphasize the law of Moses, if we do not continue to emphasize circumcision as a way to relate to the people of God? If we don't do that, what's going to happen to our churches? And Paul says, let me tell you what's going to happen to our churches. Now look at verses 13 through 15 of Galatians 5. We know what it's going to emphasize living, shall live. How should the people of God show their freedom in Christ? How should the people of God, how should Christians, how should the church show its freedom in Christ? Let verses 13 and 14, which were our scripture reading, answer that. Answer number one, Galatians 5, 13. Freedom in Christ is not the freedom to indulge the flesh. How do I know that? That's exactly what Paul writes through the Holy Spirit in verse 13. Freedom in Christ is not the freedom to indulge the flesh, which means to yield to the temptations and desires of the flesh, the passions of the flesh. Does it sound like Paul's soft on sin to you? Be mighty hard to justify that accusation. Look again at verse 13 as it goes into verse 14. True freedom in Christ does not exploit one's neighbors. True freedom in Christ does not exploit one's neighbors. but loves neighbor. 
as oneself. So any so-called freedom which says, I can do whatever I want and ask for forgiveness later, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. May it never be, Romans 6.1. True freedom does not exploit one's neighbor. Answer number three. Look, if you will, at verses 13 and 14. True freedom in Christ does not disregard the will of God. True freedom in Christ does not disregard the will of God. Loving God, loving neighbor, serving, in love serve one another, he says. Now verse 15 puts everything into perspective because those who talk about their freedom but really are people who would have them go back into to bondage or bankruptcy or indebtedness and to have them lose their victory in Jesus, he says, if you bite and devour one another, be careful, take heed, lest you consume one another. What he is getting at is one who tries to stress the law and put people in bondage as a result. Those who try to stress uh, what you need to do and they lose sight of the riches in Jesus and the victory that's in Jesus will end up becoming... Sharks in a feeding frenzy. Christian cannibals who not only bite and devour one another, but consume one another. And I want to say this. When Paul talks about these false teachers, he uses the strongest condemnation he can give. Now he's an apostle writing by inspiration of the Holy Spirit and we ought to respect what he says. But we need to be careful lest we end up violating what Paul has just written in Galatians 5, 13, and 14 in our desire to deal with false teaching. It hurts the church, but it also hurts the church when well-intentioned people think that some passages can be neglected or overlooked in defending the faith. They cannot. Now, if you would, look at verses 16 through 26. For people that notice such things, this is the most extensive area in the book of Galatians dealing with the Holy Spirit. And in actuality, it goes all the way through chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Notice the question that he's really dealing with. 
How should the church of God truly live? In freedom that doesn't take advantage of real freedom in Christ. Galatians 5, 13 through 15. How should the people of God, the church, truly live? Let verse 16 say, walk in the what? That's exactly what it says. Walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then notice Galatians 5 and verse 24. Crucify what? Crucify what? Galatians 5, 24. The flesh with its evil desires and passions. You want to live truly as a son or daughter of God, as the church of God. If we want to live in a way that truly honors Jesus, walk in the Spirit and crucify the flesh. Now notice what's said. I just said a moment ago that this section emphasizes the Spirit more than any other section in the book of Galatians. Notice verse 16 again. Walk in the Spirit. Notice the next verse, verse 17. It says that the Spirit and the flesh are diametrically opposed. They're polar opposites. The evil desires and passions of the flesh on the one side and walking in the Spirit on the other couldn't be farther apart. Notice the next verse, verse 18 of Galatians 5. It says that we are to be led. Led by whom? The Spirit. Look at verses 22 and 23. What do those passages refer to? The fruit of the Spirit. Notice, if you will, verse 25. It says, what about the Spirit, first of all? What? Live. Then what does it say in verse 25? Walk in, in step with the Spirit. Notice Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8. I'm just mentioning the references. It says, So to the Spirit, and you will of the Spirit reap what? Life, everlasting life. Now, having let those passages speak, and then, of course, we're familiar with verses 19 through 21, and the 15 or so items mentioned concerning the works of the flesh, and the nine or so items mentioned in verses 22 uh, and 23 that make up the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, Now let's draw a conclusion or two. It's a shame that this passage has been such a hotbed of controversy among brethren through the years. There are brethren among us who will say this. These references to the Spirit in Galatians 5 and 6 
find particular meaning in the Word of God as revealed by the Holy Spirit. Now here's what I mean. We are led by the Spirit when we listen to the Word of the Spirit. We will be diametrically opposed to what is fleshly and sinful whenever we want to walk in the Spirit in accordance with the instruction given by God the Holy Spirit. We will bear the fruit of the Spirit when we do this. After all, and individuals who are advocates of this position will say, God's Word is inspired. God's Word is authoritative. And God's Word is all-sufficient. And a number of passages will be uh, uh, mentioned that refer to each of those glorious truths. Everyone should walk in step with the Spirit and live in the Spirit in the sense that one walks uh, according to the Word of God and in step with the Word of God. For the life of me, I do not see how anyone could disagree with anything that I just said. I don't disagree with what I just said. Because every son or daughter of God ought to have a profound and deep respect for the Word of God. Can I get an amen there? But I'm going to give another position. What if all of these references to the Spirit in Galatians 5 and 6 have to do with the fact that because of the relationship we have with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, due to the salvation that has been made possible, shouldn't we walk in a way that reflects our relationship with Father, Son, and Spirit? Shouldn't we understand that a relationship with God, Father, Son, and Spirit is diametrically opposed, polar opposites from the flesh? Shouldn't we be led by our relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in everything we do and think and say? Shouldn't we produce the fruit of the Spirit, fruit of Christ, fruit becoming a son or daughter of our Heavenly Father? Shouldn't we walk in step with our relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit? Shouldn't we live in a way that reflects our relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit? 
Shouldn't we sow in such a way that reflects our relationship to the Father, the Son, and Spirit, knowing that then we will reap life everlasting? You know, I don't see how advocates of position one that I described earlier can have any substantial argument with position two that I just gave. You know why? Because friends don't have to be separated. We can emphasize the fact that our relationship with God is real and vibrant and, and it's, it's active with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And we can emphasize and stress just as much that it is through His revelation of His Word that we have a relationship with Him. I don't have to separate best of friends. And it seems to me that when we start to emphasize one to the exclusion or neglect of the other, even if one is 60 and the other is 40, we kind of start to lose something that's pretty precious. I make no apology for saying that. There are word-only indwelling people and there are personal indwelling people and one can believe either and address it biblically. <laughs> and not be a Calvinist and not be a Pentecostal and not be a deist. Now notice verse 26. Just like verse 15, he's saying something like this, beware, there's, you know, there's one another passages that are negative. We've got to love one another, pray for one another, serve one another. Hear me, Scott? You can also be conceited to one another. You can provoke one another. And we can be envious of one another. And that does not please our God. What does it say about our respect for his word? And what does it say about the relationship that we have with God due to Jesus? When we treat his family like that. Get it? Got it good? Let's move on to chapter 6. Quickly, verses 1 through 10. Here's the question. How does the church as a community live. People who are free show real freedom. People who walk in the Spirit or in step with the Spirit, who live in the Spirit, how do they show true community? Galatians 6.1 the word to remember is care. What is to be done? Restore. When one is overtaken in a fault, what happens? Restore. And it has to do with the idea of washing and mending the nets. And when part of a fishnet was broken, sometimes they would have to tie it back together. Think of how salt water would affect nets. Restore such a one. Who? You who are what? 
spiritual. You who have a relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because of what God has done to make salvation possible. You who respect God's word, God's will. Didn't say you who are perfect. If it said that, none of us could ever restore anyone who's overtaken in a transgression. But then notice this, how? In a spirit of what? Condescension? In a spirit of gentleness. In these churches of Galatia, there were probably some fairly new Christians that listened way too much to the teaching of these Judaizers. And maybe they bought into circumcision. And maybe they bought into keeping various aspects of the law. And they realized that they were taking away from Jesus and his gospel when they added that. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Secondly, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. I remarked earlier that even the apostle Peter was carried away with some of the things that went on with that teaching and so was Mr. Encouragement himself, Barnabas, Galatians 2, 11 through 15. Don't think that things like that can't happen to us. Sometimes we got a lot of heat and not nearly enough light. And sometimes we have some light but not enough passion and zeal for the truth. Verse 2 through verse 5, we go from care, and that's compassion, being moved with compassion when others are overtaken in sin and help pick them up. Galatians 6, 2 through 5, bear, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Don't just pick them up, but understand there's people in the church that you're going to hold up They just need somebody to hold them up. Wasn't that long ago, Brother Ron, is all you could do to get up, my brother. And people's love could pick you up. And it could hold you up, the love of Jesus. As you saw that in others, as they reached out to you. There are burdens we all must bear. Care, bear. Look at verse 6. Share. The community of faith, the family of God, the church, is known for the way it cares. By this shall all men know you're my disciples, by your love one for another. John 13, 34, and 35. Love one another with a pure heart fervently. 1 Peter 1, 22. But we're also known for helping each other bear loads holding people up when they're stumbling and they may not have the strength. But we're also known for sharing. Let those who are taught make sure that they respond to the one who teaches. 
And may the one who teaches make sure that what he teaches truly helps the instructed. Generosity, kindness. Preach the word with all long-suffering and doctrine. 2 Timothy 4, verses 2 through 5. Care, bear, share. Now notice verses 7 and 8. So, that's the word to remember. The community of God is known for what it sows and it'll be known for what it reaps. In one way, it's really hard to distinguish between the individual and the church as a whole throughout Galatians, but especially here. It's true, individually, sow a thought, you reap an act. Sow an act, we reap a habit. Sow a habit, we reap character. Sow character, we reap a life. Sow a life, we reap a destiny. It seems to me that that is true of the people of God as a whole just as much as it is any individual Christian. Follow me, if you would, now, and look at verses 9 and 10. The word to remember is serve. The community of God's people is known for its service. As much as we have opportunity, let's do good to all, especially those of the household of faith. In due season, verse 9, we will reap if we faint not. Never get give out. I won't ask that to anybody under 40. But those of us who are 50 and none of your business, you ever get give out and tired? The idea is that of persevering in doing what is good. And in due season we will reap if we faint not. Brother Lynn, you ever get tired, brother? Even though you love to help people and want to encourage people, you still get tired sometimes. And sometimes your tank, you know, your tank can be just kind of on empty. You know what I mean, Brother Bill? And that's normally the time somebody's going to come and they need something. Through patience and a determination that I would have to call holy stubbornness, we continue to serve and to sow and to share and to bear and to care. Because that's what people who love and humble themselves and trust God do.
That's what we do. Hope you'll come back tonight for Galatians 6, 11 through 18. We're about to stand and sing our song of encouragement. You can't be right apart from Jesus with God. You can't have real riches apart from Jesus. You can't have real victory apart from Jesus and His gospel. And if the gospel told me that I needed to leave this place and travel 5,000 miles and be baptized in chrysote somewhere, I'd do it. That's not what the Bible tells me. What the Bible tells me is if I trust Him in humble, loving faith and repent of my sins, Acts 2.38, and experience baptism for the forgiveness of my sins, that the blood of Jesus will wash away my sins and that God will save me and make me His child by grace. What a blessing. What blessings are those to the people who are in Christ? Are you in Christ? Are you part of His church? As a Christian, do you show your freedom in Christ by understanding that freedom in Christ is not freedom to indulge your flesh. That freedom in Christ is not freedom to exploit people. That freedom in Christ is not freedom to disregard God's will and to do whatever we want. I don't believe the circumstances of Galatians and that letter are completely peculiar to the Galatian churches. God's word is ever relevant and ever fresh. Amen. And there's a lot to take in and think about. Let us stand and sing.